Hello and welcome Amy Talks listeners to a new episode. Today I'm chatting to ITV News' Europe editor James Mates, not about Brexit, but instead about being a broadcast journalist, seeing his dad on the news and strangely, his eyebrows. This week's good news story is, as always, from the Good News Network, and it's about an airline that are protecting Hawaiian coral reefs by giving free, non-toxic uh, sunscreen to tourists. So whilst passengers are taking responsibility for themselves while they're on vacation, the airline is protecting the oceans as well. Uh, it says Hawaiian Airlines recently announced that they would be giving away free samples of non-toxic sunscreen to all of their passengers flying from North, Amer- North American destinations to the islands throughout the month of April. Uh, the initiative is in light of research that discovered two ingredients in common sunscreen, so I'm going to completely butcher these. Oxybenzone and octinoxate can have damaging effects on coral reefs. It has been certified as all-natural, chemical-free and reef-safe. And the vice president of marketing at the airline says, Hawaii is a very special place. We believe it is our kuleana or responsibility to care for our home. Through our partnership with Raw Elements, we encourage guests to join us in reducing the human impact on these delicate coral ecosystems. And it says not only will the airline be giving away the sunscreen, but they will also be screening an educational documentary called Reefs at Risk on all of their flights. So if you're on a flight to Hawaii from North America throughout April, pick up some non-toxic sunscreen and help save the planet. Okay, so I'm with James Mates. Hello. Hello. Um, so you're obviously ITV News' Europe editor I currently. Am. Your dad was Michael Mates MP. Was. So was. I mean, he still is Michael Mates, but he's not MP. No, no. I hate to bring this up, but he was accused of things like election fraud and other stuff. That... Yeah, it was all nonsense, and, and indeed he was uh, completely cleared and paid large sums of money in compensation. No, what I was going to ask was, uh, is it was it weird seeing him on the news as part of the news? Uh, yes, but I mean, it always is, but, you know, he had a long career in politics and was frequently in the news for various things, and um, so, you know, I sort of got used to it. But also, I mean, it's slightly weird when you when you see stuff being said that you know to be completely untrue. But it, you know, it was all it was. It, he was completely uh, exonerated in the end, and, and uh, um, yeah, everything that we knew to be the case turned out to be the case. So yeah, it was fine. Oh, that's good then. Mm. Um, so you joined ITN in nineteen eighty three. Yes, I've got my facts right. Um, so what attracted you to work here? Uh, well, Why didn't you work somewhere like the BBC? <laughs> <laughs> ITN offered me a job, and the BBC didn't. That's true. It was, was the direct and proximate cause of, of my choice. Um, so, yeah, I had applied for um, various uh, news trainee uh, ships and jobs, and uh, there were a few offers. Um, and then very late in the day, and, uh, and, and not including one from the BBC and their news trainees, scheme, I didn't get onto that. Uh, but very late in the day, um, in that sort of recruitment round, I mm. got a job with ITN, um, which is obviously a great company, and um, uh, had a fabulous training, two-year training scheme, um, and the money was good, and, and it was a no-brainer, really, and once, you know. So you've been doing it for over 35 years? I have. Do you ever get nervous about anything? Well, that's interesting, and not very often these days. Um, I'm, I'm not by nature a particularly nervous person. Um, 
So obviously there were a lot of nerves in the early days, but by and large I'm reasonably confident about what I'm doing. So no, sitting in studio, uh, talking live, uh, the only Sorry. times... <coughs> I could be coughing a lot. The only times that I ever really get at all nervous is if something's happening very late and I'm very unprepared. Okay. Uh, and this can happen on breaking news and on stuff where you literally just got off a plane and have to go and uh, perform more or less immediately before you can get your feet under the table and get your brain around the story. Um, so it's probably fair to say I'm only really nervous if I'm not confident of what I'm talking about. If you're not prepared at all. Well, preparation obviously has obviously. Plays, plays a big part. I've yeah. always done some preparation. Um, but uh, normally when I'm talking on TV, I'm completely confident about the subject matter and about what I'm saying and that confident that I've checked it and, uh, and gone over it and that it's my opinions drawn, uh, 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 conclusions drawn are legitimate uh, and solid and based on, on, on the facts that I've been able to properly research and verify. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but sadly, with with you know the nature of uh, live broadcasting, it isn't always possible to be as no, prepared no. as that. No. And that's the only time I I think I can say when I when I end up feeling a little bit nervous about the whole affair. But it's not nervous about performing no, in front no, of no. A, a, an audience of millions of people at any one time because I've managed to, over the years just to blank that out of my thoughts. It's, not it, think millions of people are watching at home right now. Not. Absolutely, you just have to tune that whole thought completely out. Basically, talk to one person. Um, talk to uh, the camera well you talk to the camera but uh, the, oh, yeah. what, the, the image in your mind always has to be uh, that you are talking to uh, a person who you imagine to be uh, someone you know reasonably well who is reasonably well informed but not a news obsessive um, but is interested in, 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 in what you're saying which is why they're listening to you and so you're, you're in my mind, I'm not talking to someone who knows nothing about the subject because no. otherwise your new readers start here every time and, and I, I, you can't do that because you never get around to get no. telling any of the new stuff. Uh, but so, but also on the other side of that is you mustn't assume too much, too no. much knowledge because, you know, real people have real lives and real jobs that have nothing to do with the news and, and they're not watching and obsessing and reading and talking about it the whole time. So you have to get that balance. But So I like to imagine, a, you know, someone who's... a uh, interested um, and uh, follows the news in a in a in a relatively casual way, uh, but wants to know more about it. And then, so if you if you imagine you're then then talking to one person rather than declaiming to a large crowd, mm. you start getting the idea that you know, millions of people because that's how you're being received. People mm. are sitting one on one, looking at you in that sitting room on 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 the TV screen. That, you know, it's it's the, the illusion is that it's a one to one conversation, albeit mm. one that's being repeated in millions of homes. Yeah. You have been what, Moscow and Washington correspondent and Tokyo correspondent. And uh, yeah, have you had to move your whole family out there? Yes. Well, I, when I went to Tokyo, I, I wasn't married, but my um, uh, then girlfriend, now wife, came with me, mm-hmm. um, and we got married after we came back from Tokyo. And, and then uh, when we went to Moscow. Uh, my eldest son had just been born. He was two months old. Is it hard to move them with you and yeah, not depends. not know what you're coming back to if you are? I never worried about what we're coming back to. It was always an adventure, and, and I, my, uh, the only focus ever was on what was going to be there when we yeah. got there. And, uh, I'm very lucky that my wife is a, a big adventurer as well, and That's leaps at the chance to <laughs> to go off and live somewhere else and see something else. And, do something different. Um, so she was well up for it. And, and Moscow, when we went there in the, 
uh, late 91, early 92, was a, a very, very wild and wacky place indeed. Right? <laughs> um, uh, and a very interesting place to be with a very small baby. Although actually, you know, there were, there were uh, we found a wonderful Russian nanny, a babushka type figure who, who was just brilliant. Uh, with him, and he, she actually stayed, came back to England with us afterwards, and then went to America with us, um, uh, and was a wonderful nanny to all our children. So yeah, Moscow was um, a very small family, and then by the time we went to America, it was quite a large family. Indeed, my uh, youngest uh, was born in America while we were there. Oh, so, so, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. So you've been to things like, or you've reported on uh, things like the elections of Nelson Mandela. Correct. It was a big part of history in South Africa. Do you think people were proud to see him be elected? Uh, um, they, were, they, were, they were massively pleased to see him elected. Most <coughs> um, stories have good sides and bad sides, but uh, I really struggled to find anything that you could call a bad side to the election of Mandela. Uh, uh, that whole period from his release in jail uh, to the extraordinary um, work he did on reconciliation when he came out of jail, I mean, I, I think, you know, South Africa was such a fractured and tortured place that had mm. been through <coughs> so many years of this appalling apartheid regime that the, the um, potential was definitely there for a very, very nasty explosion and breakdown. You know, this the white minority was a minority, but it was five million strong. I mean, this was, you mm. know, it was, it was, a, uh, it was uh, well armed and well prepared and, you know, if, if, things had gone badly, it could have been very, very brutal indeed. And I think solely because of Mandela and the man he was and the attitude he took to those who had jailed him for so long, South Africa avoided that. And uh, that election was a genuinely uplifting experience of millions and millions of people using their votes for the first time, almost exclusively for a man who they adored and admired and uh, who was of course a very very fine president after he was elected yeah um, so yeah it's, it is very rare to say that the story is unequivocally good news but that i would put in that category category okay uh, so as i said you're now europe editor mm-hmm. covering brexit amongst other things so do you ever get called up in the middle of the night to yes. go to brussels uh, well, for, uh, I or mean, to, to less travel. So, yeah, I mean, slightly less so at the moment, although, you know, the, the, uh, the, the late night calls tend to be if there's been a terrorist outrage or yeah. um, a, a disaster of some sort rather than, a, you know, some political development, which, yeah. which they can normally wait till morning. Um, but certainly the, um, the Bataclan attacks in Paris, which happened very late at night, so the phone was buzzing all night long and we were jumping to cars and going through the Channel Tunnel and thing to get to Paris in time for the next morning. Um, so those, yeah, I mean, those stories still definitely happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's definitely part of, you know, the phone is always beside the bed. Mm. Um, I'm glad to say, because I'm a bit older now, um, uh, that it happens to me less often than it used to. That's but, good. Uh, but uh, uh, so I quite like that. America was always a bad time for, the other day. because of the time difference, people would get to work at, seven, eight in the morning. Uh, and it, was, uh, it would be three in the morning there. And it would be three in the morning there. And, and, uh, so, and they would say, uh, he's got to move straight away. Something's happened. Pick up the phone and say, you've got to move. And I say, okay, but the first flight isn't until 7.30, so why have you called me at half past two? You know? um, but, <laughs> yeah. um, so there was quite a lot of that in America, but, but um, anyway, that went with the territory. So. Yeah, so um, as you're a predator, do you speak any European languages? Yeah, I speak French, um, and uh, my Italian is passable. Do you speak fluent French? 
uh, I mean, there's fluent and there's fluent. You know, I, I, I can conduct an interview in French very happily. I can listen, wow. to, the, listen to the radio and read a newspaper and things. So, it's, you know, I wish it was better. Yeah. Um, but uh, I can operate very happily in, in, a, in a political environment in France. Uh, my Italian vocabulary, although I basically can manage quite a lot of the language, the vocabulary is just not there to yeah. really operate full-time but you know i get into a discussion with someone and they start using words i haven't i don't know i don't really don't recognize no. and then it can you know you can slightly feel you're on background but although you know if someone's talking to me in italian i most of the time know what they're talking yeah. about you can understand more than you could say yeah. uh, oh yes but i think that's yeah. true of any language yeah i think I, I think it's a very rare person who, who can say as much as they can understand um yeah so and um uh, my russian was reasonably good when i was in russia it's a quite rusty now but once again you, you retain quite a lot of um understanding of it mm. um in terms of you know you normally if you ask someone a question um which then gets translated into their language and uh, quite often you listen to the answer and you basically know what they're saying yeah. although you, you know the gist of what they're saying you know the gist of what they're saying you know you know basically whether they agree with you or disagree with you or what or the point they're trying to make and because Russian is the basis, I think I'm right in saying, for a large number of Slavic languages, uh, I can listen to Polish and Czech and, and, and uh, languages like that and, and actually pick up quite yeah, a lot yeah. of that as well. Oh. But, yeah. but no, I, my, I wish my languages were better. But, yeah. but, um, but um, I was never any good at languages at school. Uh, I, tr- like, I tried French, but it didn't work. <laughs> you're like most of the British population. Yeah. And I is think it, it, it's such a shame. I really wish... I don't. I mean, I think. I think. Um, I think the uh, unwillingness or inability of the Britons to to uh, en- engage with any other language at all uh, is quite a driver of uh, of our misunderstandings about the continent. Yeah. Uh, uh, to some extent, over why the Brexit vote happened. Uh, to some extent, why there remains a, a feeling of British exceptionalism, uh, in uh, particularly as regards Europe. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if more of us spoke at least a language, spent some time there, um, engaged with... The local people. And... Local people or films or TV or, uh, or whatever else, we would understand a lot more about... It. And, and, and it only really requires understanding about one other European yeah. country to realise that they have the same problems as we do. They're, so they, they're good at some things and they're bad at some things, just like we are. There is nothing exceptional about Britain at all. No. A great country with a lot of strengths. France is a great country with a lot of strengths, a lot of weaknesses. So is Italy, so is uh, Greece, so is Germany. Mm. And the, the, you know, the, the, we, we have a lot to learn from each other um, uh, and a lot that we can give each other. Yeah. And, and, and when you spend a, just a little bit of time in one other country, curiously, the one, the one country that we do think we know, which is America, because, because there's no language barrier, we don't feel British exceptionalism vis-à-vis America yeah. at all. If anything, we feel a slight inferiority complex, a slight feeling that the, the Americans are, you know, sort of slightly like a big brother who we look up to and, you know, respect and are happy to sort of follow them, even puppyishly sometimes, yeah. uh, in terms of foreign policy and, 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 and direction of travel in, in, in many areas. And we underst- we feel we understand the Americans and, we, and therefore we don't feel we're better than them no. because we share a language. Now, if only we understood that actually the same is in many ways true of the French mm. and the Germans. They're, they're, we're not exceptional. No. We all have, we have strengths and weaknesses. There are great things about this country, and there are things that we could certainly do better. Great things about the British character, and things that, that uh, areas where we let ourselves down. Mm. Just like every other country, uh, there's you know. But I do think that this absolute refusal to teach and learn foreign languages uh, does not help us. No.
So you've been the presenter of many budget and election and the referendum campaign as well. I've always wondered, how do you, like, what, what happens? Like, how do you go to the toilet? <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've only once, which was for an American election campaign uh, program, done the full sort of studio job. Yeah. But, um, so normally I'm sort of dipping in and out, so it's, it's less of a problem. I think, I, mean, I think if you ask people to do these long programs, for start, we, we, we do sort of cut away to, to other things at yeah, other times. Yeah. Um, and you, you only have to, you know, have a six or seven minute break and, and uh, where, you, where you're going, and you can dash off. But also, I think, you know, the, the, the uh, I think people who present these programs will tell you that one thing you don't do is you know, drink a gallon of water before you start, and you don't shove a lot of coffee and tea down you for, for precisely that reason, because you don't want to be bursting while you're no, there. No. Um, but uh, certainly, some of the all-nighters and the, you know, the election program runs from, I think, it, it, well, it runs from 10 in the evening until 6 o'clock the next morning. So clearly, you know, breaks are yeah. bad. But, you know, you'll go off to a, a, a regional break or, um, you know, where they go, you know, look at the situation in Wales for uh, five minutes or something. And then there's time to, to you know, come for breaks. No, because I, um, I did the count for my local constituency. Right. And um, we didn't get allowed until 5 a.m. Because yeah. they wanted, like, two recounts. Wow. And I never got to see any of the ITV coverage because they had the BBC on. Yeah, well, that's, I got that's high, I got the back over, isn't it? and caught the last ten minutes. Yeah, of, of you guys. Yeah, well, it's always true that the default position is always to put the BBC on. You know, certainly in any public space, and also sadly yeah. in most homes as well. But anyway, yeah. that's something we can. Have I put ITV on. As does as yeah. does my dad now. Well done. So kind of a light-hearted end. Okay. Your own, and finally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you know that you are on BuzzFeed's Six People with the Most Amazing Eyebrows? Well, I should think so too. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't know that. Um, really? Really? Who else is on there? I don't know. Politicians. Okay. People like that. Oh, well, that's very good. So, how do you yeah. keep? How do you keep them so? <laughs> so what? So mystifying. Uh, they are what they are. I don't, <laughs> believe you me, my don't be- do anything. My beauty regime does not take me a long time in the morning. Um, so no, my eyebrows are what my eyebrows are. I get an awful lot of tweets saying, "Do you dye them?" <laughs> who, who does that? I mean, does anybody? I mean, they, yeah, I, people do. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't even know that. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I must stop dyeing my hair grey in that case. They are what they are. Uh, it's always good to have a distinctive feature. Um, if that's what they, what gets you noticed, that's what gets you noticed. I suppose. What, why do you think people are so fascinated by them? I don't know. Anything that you, that, I mean, anything that's even slightly unusual about anyone, the way anyone looks is, is always something that people hang, you know, get hold of. But better to be, the only worst thing about being talked about is being not talked about. That's, that's true, that's true. So, um, so um, I'll settle for that. Okay. Thank you very much for joining well, me. Thank you for answering my questions. Great, really nice talking to you again. Thank you so much to James for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat to me. If you want to see more of him, give him a follow on Twitter at JamesMatesITV. Also, if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, follow the show on Twitter at Amy Talks Podcast and on Facebook, just search for Amy Talks. Subscribe on iTunes if you want to, you don't have to, um, but just search for Amy Talks in the iTunes store. See you in the next episode. Bye!